Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. This morning we continue our study in Hebrews. Our passage today is from chapter 4, 14 through 5, 10. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to find help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday morning as we work through the book of Hebrews. And I trust it will be an enormous encouragement to you. In the book of Hebrews, the author is encouraging his audience to consider Jesus and just how incredible Jesus Christ indeed is. This morning, I have the distinct privilege and honor of telling you that Jesus Christ is your great high priest. Jesus Christ mediates in your behalf before the Father. You are a sinner, but because of what Jesus Christ has done in your behalf and by you appropriating that by faith, You are not only accepted, but you have access to the Father. That's an incredible truth. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through chapter 5, verse 10, we have the expansion of that truth for us as the people of God. When Michael Sparks was browsing at a thrift shop in Nashville, Tennessee in 2006, he found what he assumed was a reproduction of the Declaration of Independence. The copy seemed incredibly well done, so he purchased it for $2.48. After doing a bit of research, Sparks discovered that he had no ordinary copy of the historic document. It was, in fact, one of 200 official copies commissioned by John Quincy Adams in 1820, and only the 36th ever discovered. Sparks sold the parchment for a price that should help in his personal pursuit of happiness. $477,650. Now, I love St. Vinny's. I love Goodwill. And I am always looking for that one thing. That one thing. We speak openly of our Lord's person and work at Waukesha Bible Church. And our mission is to preach the gospel to the church. 
And why would we do that? Well, because the church fails to personally appreciate and celebrate what they have in Christ and how Christ celebrated is the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, as our great high priest, is priceless, yet we often find him and is sold at the secondhand store. In our study of Isaiah 61, which we had read earlier, we came across a picture of contrasts between what we deserve and what we receive. Instead of ashes, we receive a crown of beauty. Instead of mourning, we receive the oil of joy. Instead of despair, we receive a garment of praise. Instead of shame, we receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, we receive a joyful inheritance. This glorious reveal is because of the Lord's anointed. We know from the New Testament that Jesus is the fulfiller of these promises in Isaiah 61. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, as Messiah, functions as our great high priest. And it is in that role that this glorious reversal takes place. Before jumping into our text, let us have a word of prayer. Our Father, we ask the Holy Spirit to open our ability to lay hold of this truth with our minds, our wills, and our emotions. May we be washed over with this truth. Help us to see what we were without Jesus and what we now are because of and in Jesus. May it come upon us like a mighty tsunami, an overwhelming avalanche of blessing. Do not allow us to cast this off as if, although known, matters little. May the overflow of the Spirit's work be so powerful as to show Jesus to others. May we come to know how the just sentence we rightly deserve is answered by our great high priest. And may the gracious gifting in Christ be humbly received. We thank you ahead of time for what we're about to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm wanting to take what we heard over the last several weeks and place it inside of our present passage. Pastor Giles opened up for us the initial section, chapter 3, verse 1, running all the way through chapter 5, verse 10. In chapter 3, verse 1, we read the statement of Jesus in our confession. And we are confessing Jesus as the apostle and high priest and our boast and our hope and our confidence is in Christ then we have this significant section running from chapter 3, verse 7, all the way to chapter 4, verse 13, of a word of caution. Unbelief forfeits the rest. Christ offers to us rest. We must receive that rest. And then the section concludes in chapter 4, 14 through 5, 10, with another statement concerning our confession. Jesus Christ is our sympathetic and merciful high priest. So this entire section that began in chapter 3, verse 1, and now runs all the way through chapter 5, verse 10, is a single section, and it celebrates our confession. But beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, running through our present passage, you have four let us. From last week's study in chapter 4, 1 through 13, we noted two let us statements. The first in verse 1, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, the rest. Chapter 4, verse 11, let us strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And today we have two let us statements. Verse 14, let us hold fast our confession. And verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Now, if the first two let us statements tell us what to do, let us fear, let us strive, then the last 
to let us statements tell us how to do it. We fear and strive by holding fast to and by approaching and drawing near. Reaching our rest and entering into our rest is holding fast to Jesus as our high priest, drawing near to our high priest. Neither one of these how-to statements are about us, but about him. Because he is our great high priest, we can enter into his rest. And apart from him, this is an impossibility. If you really want rest, you must come to Jesus. Rest apart from him is impossible. We also note how Jesus is our eternal high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We have this introduction of Melchizedek. He will be expanded on in chapter 7, but we are introduced to him in chapter 5. And this statement is to startle us into a heightened sense of awareness. If I am a Jew reading Hebrews, the kinds of statements made in Hebrews would startle me. Now consider what this passage teaches us about Jesus and where the church functionally often drifts. I've just told you that Jesus Christ is your great high priest. That is a startling statement, and it is an incredible statement. As our high priest, he mediates in our behalf before the Father. Because of what he does in our behalf, we can approach him. We have access. We have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's who Jesus is. That ought to be enough. Some years ago, I I taught Hebrews Uh, 10, 11, 12 years ago. I can't quite remember anymore. But some years ago, a major magazine began to study the phenomenon they called marketing Jesus. It seems to me putting it that way sets in stark relief the incompatibility between marketing and the Christian faith. And I'm reading a quote. Think of it. Do we really believe we have to market Jesus? How about marketing grace? Or let's get downright ludicrous. How would you go about selling eternal life? Has the church ever done that before? It seems to me the question answers itself. And yet the church marketing business goes on cranking out ads for everything from our handsome young pastor and his beautiful wife to we have more services to offer you and your children to we have the biggest cross in town. I guess I would have to say that if we really think we have to sell salvation, we've lost the essence of what it means. End of quote. But has it really come to this? In our desire to be current and culturally relevant, let us not put so much makeup on the gospel that we fail to see him for who he is. Is our view of the living Christ so anemic that we must cosmetically alter his church, his body, so that others might find him attractive? Isn't the pageantry that is Christ enough? How far must we go in accommodating the fickle appetites of the mixed multitude? The author of Hebrews preaches Jesus without delusion or distraction. There is no sleight of hand or double talk when it comes to who he is and what he has done in securing his people from their sin. The one who is the express image of the invisible God and the radiance of his glory is our great high priest who mediates in our behalf before the Father by offering up himself as a penal substitutionary sacrifice. And we ought to understand what all this means. It is this sobering reality that we are to consider, that we are to confess, and that we as a fellowship are to celebrate. Jesus Christ is 
our great high priest. He is the one who mediates in our behalf, who offered up himself as a propitiatory sacrifice. He answered the justice of God. He stopped the wrath of God. And now we are free in Christ. That indeed should be enough. As I've noted, there are four imperatives or commands inside our passage. Verse 1, let us fear. Verse 11, let us strive. Verse 14, let us hold fast. This isn't the first command in our section. In chapter 3, verse 1, we are called to consider Jesus. That's the first imperative or command. Then in chapter 3, verse 12, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And then verse 13 of Hebrews 3, but exhort, encourage one another every day as long as it is called today. What are we doing gathered? We are exhorting each other to take care. We are exhorting each other to hold fast to Christ. Now in our passage, we begin with the word, therefore. Since then, therefore, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavenlies. You and I have a high priest, and you and I, as the people of God, are to be reminded of who Jesus is. This isn't the first time, by the way, if we've been reading Hebrews at all in understanding this idea. There's the reoccurrence of this idea throughout the book of Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In his role as our great high priest, this is what he has done in behalf of his people. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted, we'll come back to that idea in just a moment, in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Hebrews chapter 3, Jesus, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Chapter 4, therefore, since we have a great high priest Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. Chapter 5, verse 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Because of who he is as our great high priest and what he has done in offering propitiation, we are to seize him. Let us hold fast. The word hold fast is kratao, not that that means much to us, but it occurs 46 times in the New Testament. It means to hold on to or to seize, and the majority of references speak to someone being seized in order to capture or restrict. Thus, there is force behind it. Let us hold fast to our confession. In our passage, the tempted who are being persecuted are told to hold fast to their confession. And what is this confession? Well, of Jesus being the high priest. And what are we to be laying hold of? The word confession in chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. The word confession is a word that we have already been exposed to in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, when it says to confess. It's the Greek word, and it means to say the same thing. 
In the book of Hebrews, that word, confess, is, occurs three times. It's found in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. We are agreeing with God as to who he is and as to what he does. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What is our confession? We are saying the same thing concerning Jesus. He is our high priest, and he has offered up an eternal offering for our salvation. Chapter 10, verse 23, the third and last time of this word, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The audience is called upon to believe in Jesus, the Jesus described and depicted and revealed in the New Testament. In Hebrews, he is our great high priest who has offered up himself as a propitiatory sacrifice. Here is what we are supposed to do. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who is interceding in our behalf before the Father. And because he is your great high priest, you may enter into the throne room of grace. That doesn't sound overly complicated. Do you believe in Jesus? Does Jesus function for you as your great high priest? The answer is either yes or no. Do you believe? If you look at the passage, and I would encourage you to do so, in verse 14, we have this first imperative or command to hold fast our confession. Then you'll notice verse 15, for it gives us the reason why we are to do this as to the content of our confession, for he is our sympathetic high priest. And then the second imperative or command is in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near, a command. And then verse 1 of chapter 5, 4, gives us the reason why. Jesus Christ is our high priest, but not after the Aaronic line, the line of Levi, but rather of Melchizedek. And you'll see that in just a moment at verse 5 of chapter 5. So also Christ, just as, verse 1, so also Christ Verse 5. But the second command inside the passage is drawing near. The first command is, let us hold fast. Let us say the same thing about Jesus that is said of him in the New Testament and by the Father and Spirit, and we are to do that. And secondly, let us draw near. Let us draw near with confidence, and I'll comment on that shortly. But let us come boldly, and notice, notice the language here, let us then with confidence let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace in order that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And again, consider the audience to whom this word is spoken, to whom this word is written. Does anyone in that context under persecution need help? Absolutely. What do they need? Mercy. What do they find? Grace. God withholds from them what they justly deserve and gives them what they cannot earn. You know, folks, that's like, hallelujah. We are there ourselves, and this is God's word to us today. We begin chapter 3, verse 6, with an element of uncertainty and warning, and now we consider where we are ending and to whom we are pointing. In my instability, in my insecurity, in my ill health, I have a great high priest who knows me at a cellular level and a soulish level. 
He sees past all of my emotional layers and loves me still. This text is in a context. Look with me for a moment to chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It's right above our paragraph. And remember, there are really no paragraph breaks in the Greek text. But notice verse 12 of chapter 4. For the word of God, and Pastor Giles brought this out, that the word of God is equally the God of the word. It's Jesus Christ. But the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God knows you like no one else knows you. You and I come here, we're all cosmetically palatable. But God sees past that. God sees what I look like on Saturday morning when no one is watching. But he doesn't just see me physically, he sees me soulishly. He knows every thought that I have ever had, every right and wrong thing that I have ever done. Verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight. Listen to this. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Naked and exposed. That's you looking at yourself in the bathroom. Going, oh Lord. But it's more than that. Contrast that with what we read in verse 14. He sees you naked and exposed, and yet you can draw near to a throne of grace with full confidence. And why? Because you have been clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. That's a whoop-whoop. That is great stuff. God knows you, and yet you and I can come with full confidence to his throne, and we find grace, and we receive mercy in our time of need. These are not empty words. We come this morning, and we hear truth that we've heard before, but they're not empty words. In mercy, God will withhold from us what we rightly deserve This is our word propitiation. He has answered fully the sentence of God against me. And the Father will give us what we do not deserve, and that's the word grace. God's grace is so radical that he withholds from us what we rightly deserve and gives us what we do not deserve and we cannot earn. That is how profound the work of Jesus is in your behalf. That's incredible. We sit here this morning and we begin to think of what is going on in our lives and we are simply at moments overwhelmed. And what are we to do? Hold fast to your confession. Don't stop believing that Jesus Christ is your great high priest and you need to draw near to his throne of grace and you will find your help in your time of need. I pointed out how it calls us to draw near. It calls us to draw near because he is our great high priest. And I showed how verse 1 of chapter 5 gives us the reason why. For every high priest, you have in chapter 5, 1 through 10, what is called a chiastic structure, and it's a picture of contrasts. In verses 1 through 4, you have the earthly line being described. For every high priest chosen from among men, the line of Aaron is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Why? Since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. That's what a high priest would do. And this is how the early church, those Jewish Christians would understand this. Jesus Christ is functioning for them as their high priest. On the Day of Atonement, he would go into the Holy of Holies. He would offer a sacrifice for his sins and for the sins of the people. This was their role. But this is something Hebrews will accent later on, and we will note. They did this annually. Verse 4, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ, now the contrast in their parallel statements running throughout. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, who said to him, You are my son, today have I begotten you. He also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And again, this is going to be expanded on as we move forward in Hebrews. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Being made perfect, he completed the mission before him. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. As Pastor Giles pointed out, obey him, believe him, receive him as their great high priest, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The author's intent in giving us this statement, this reason in chapter 5, 1 through 10, is to show how Jesus became our great high priest through the line of Melchizedek. The idea of Melchizedek will be expanded on as we move forward, but for now, knowing he is from the line of Melchizedek tells us that whatever has happened is different in Christ. He is different from Aaron. He is different from the Levitical priesthood. He is coming out of the line of Melchizedek. This office as high priest is tied to his capacity as fully human to be tempted and to suffer. We see that in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, verse 17, verse 18, chapter 4, verse 15, chapter 5, 5 through 10. And again, let me read that for us so we don't miss what's being stated. When we speak of Jesus as our great high priest, it's tied to his humanity so that he would be tempted and he would suffer. And why? So that he can mediate and thus secure for us an eternal salvation. This is what he does for us. He functions as our great high priest. We expanded on this idea over the last three Sundays from chapter 3, verse 7, through chapter 4, verse 13. But it's this idea of rest. The rest that you and I are striving after and offered in chapter 3, 7 through 14 is not one. We don't win rest. We simply receive rest. Jesus Christ, as our great high priest, has secured for us rest. It's not something we win, we receive we receive the rest secured or won by his work, not ours. And the issue of you trusting Christ or you believing Christ is on you. Will you believe Jesus is your great high priest? Will you or will you not make the choice to rest in Christ as your great high priest? Remember what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10 said. Let's read it again. Chapter 4 verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest, 
a rest secured for us by Jesus, who functions as our great high priest, has also rested from his work as God did from his. I no longer have to work to gain something that is impossible. I can now rest when I receive his work in my behalf. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is what he has done for me. I can rest in his work and I can stop from mine. When you and I consider this whole idea of the Christian life, we know that there is a helplessness in our brokenness. We often make the statement, we can't, but only God can and Jesus did. That statement captures what all this is saying. The warning passage that follows our current study repeats the admonition in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. How will you escape if you reject Christ as your great high priest? How will you escape? What hope do we have if we neglect, if we dismiss, or we ignore him? What escape do we have from eternal punishment in hell and separation from him if we cast aside the Lord Jesus as our one and only high priest? Our question for the study is straightforward, but begs an answer. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and death? Is he functioning for you as a high priest? Are you considering him? Are you holding fast to him? Are you drawing near to him? That is what the book of Hebrews exhorts us to do. Consider him. The book of Hebrews calls out to us to do one thing. One thing. Believe Jesus. Pastor Guy will stress how obey Jesus and believe Jesus are saying the same thing. And it's simply this. Have you believed Jesus? And if not, will you believe Jesus? That is the only possible way that we can enter into his rest, a rest provided by him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest we crave, the rest we have been designed for, is found only in Christ and has been secured for us by him in his role as the high priest. The emphasis of this passage is that Jesus Christ is indeed our great high priest who serves as our mediator. He is better than the Old Testament priest, better than even Moses, chapter 3. As a human, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He has made a way for us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. He is in the order of Melchizedek, who is both priest and king. Unlike any Old Testament priest or king who could not hold both offices, Jesus Christ does indeed do both. Jesus is the source of an eternal perfect salvation for all who believe. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and death, and he right now is functioning as your great high priest, not just for your justification, but also for your sanctification. You know, earlier we noted how the first two let us statements in chapter 4 tell us what to do, let us fear, let us strive. Then the last two statements tell us how to do it. Hold fast to your confidence Draw near to the throne of grace. But how do we hold fast our confession? How do we draw near with confidence? Well, let me offer you three ways to empower these two commands. How do I do that? Well, go to church. You're here. Good job. Well, 
what I would encourage you to do in coming to church is connect with others around the Word of God. How do we take what we know and pass it on? How do we truly fellowship and encourage each other to look to Jesus as our great high priest? Let us be reminded that in Christ, we not have just access, but acceptability. You don't have to tiptoe. You don't have to walk on eggshells around God. He knows you at a cellular level. You are naked and exposed, and yet with full confidence you can come. Why? Because he is your great high priest. Secondly, make sure you see how your standing before the Father is solely in Jesus Christ. In the vertical, you need not try harder to do better. In the vertical, you are fully accepted in the beloved Son. It is because of his work as your great high priest that the Father withholds what you rightly deserve. You receive mercy, and he gives you what you cannot earn, grace. I'm not telling you a fable. I'm not making this up. This is what you have in Christ. Thirdly, hold fast, draw near. How? Well, serve your immediate family. Be nice to the people around you. If you're married, if you have kids, if you have siblings, be nice to them. Serve your church. We always have opportunity to be engaged. And when you serve in a ministry, you are serving the church. And serve your community and do it in that order. Finally, you and I need to assess where we are. Where are we right now? And how we might correct any inhibitors to our enjoying all that Jesus is for us. He is here waiting for us to simply enjoy all that we are in him and he is for us. Remember that, that dirty four-letter word spoken last week's study that sometimes you never hear in churches? It's the word rest. Rest. Are you? Are you and will you? Let us have a word of prayer. Please stand with me. Father, we look at a passage like this and it seems straightforward. Let us hold fast to our confession. Let us continue to agree with you concerning the Son. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Why we would not is beyond us. But in our time of need, we will find grace and help and receive mercy at a throne. Not to see him as enough is to leave the confession. It is to distance ourselves from that throne. What horror awaits us if we reject Jesus? May this drive us to evangelize and share and live the gospel. May we be driven to live large gospel lives. It is because of Jesus as our sacrifice and substitute that we do not receive what we deserve. And it is because of Jesus that we do receive what we do not deserve. What a blessing. May we share this good news widely. Teach us to rest in his work so that we might rest from our work. We pray this with thanksgiving and joy in Jesus' name. Amen.